You're listening to Informed, informal chats about theological topics to help us know and understand God together. Informed. Informed. Hi everyone, welcome to Informed. Uh, Today we've got the second part of my conversation with Mike Betts where we'll be talking about uh, revival and the transformation of society and uh, encounters with God. So let's get into it. I'd love to ask you, Mike, about revival Hmm. um, and... uh, where should we start? Um, is, is revival in the Bible? In one sense, the, the, the church was getting going in the book of Acts, so it's difficult to revive something that's only just started. And the definition of revival, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think makes a very good case that revival actually is a term that should be used for the church, not for society, because you can't yeah. revive something unless it's actually alive in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would distinguish between revival and a very fruitful evangelistic campaign or whatever, both of which are needed. And usually revival leads to the other. We have one leads okay. to the other. So they're not, they're not unconnected. But I think the I mean, Acts talks about times of refreshing coming. I think it, the, the more the, the later epistles would seem to, the book of Revelation talks to the churches about adjusting turning going back to first love Mm. those sorts of things which are kind of revival feelings even if you just take even if you don't put that label on it classically i mean it's revival as a term is a is a human construct isn't it? it's not a biblical term in the way we mean it but i think you know return to your first love is is a is a longing or an instruction to Mm. cultivate a a revived sense of the presence of God in a local church that presumably did have it and then waned a bit. So I think, I think from that point of view, it is in the Bible. Um, yeah. But um, we were obviously in the first decades weren't yeah, we, yeah. of church life. So it, it took a while for, for it to wane in perhaps the degree that we read in Revelation. I, I think there are seasonal, there's a, Ecclesiastes says, you know, it's a time for everything under heaven. And I think that, that does apply to revival. God does have times when he visits his church in different places, in different times, in different manner, in order to bring about an extraordinary visitation. Now, God is always present with his church, and we should always have, a, I think, a high, a high bar view. Uh, that God always, I think God always wants to do more than we ask or imagine. Mm. It's biblical, isn't it? So I think our our expectations inevitably, the Bible seems to define, are always lower than they probably could be. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because if we're if he's if he will do more than we ask or imagine, then that shows that our asking and our imagination are less than actually is possible. Yeah. Uh, and images of grains of mustard seed and faith and all the rest of it seem to imply we're growing into understanding of something that you know there's more than we think. So I think there is, even not in revival, we can see more than we are seeing. But revival, I think, is an, is an overtaking where the Holy Spirit moves way beyond anything we can cope with or organise. Um, mm. And I think of our dear friends uh, in Victory Church in Cumbran, uh, Clyde Thomas, when, when you ask him about, I mean, he wouldn't claim that was revival, but he would say it was a big outpouring. And whether I mean, it might have been, it might have been revival, I don't, I don't know. It depends what definition you use. But just a few years ago, I mean, they, thousands of people 
just over many months poured into that place. Many people saved, many people healed. It, it, I mean, it was ev- meetings every night apart from one night of the week for about nine months or something. It was extraordinary. Mm. So normal life went on hold. You just couldn't even do your shopping or didn't, it was just, it was beyond bonkers. Uh, you can't live in that all, all the time. Mm. As it was just, everything would go pop. Yeah. And it's primarily something that comes from God to strengthen and restore his church which then has a knock-on effect on on the world around it. Yes, and also to bring many people, once the church gets revived, people start to get saved, the community gets affected, and then you find that God puts his hand on the lives of men and women because their hearts have been changed, and they start to affect society. They start to bring many other people to Christ. Uh, so it becomes a knock-on effect. It, it really does become a yeah a domino effect in society. Just that the whole atmosphere has changed because more and more people know Christ. So you can't you cannot help but have the atmosphere of society change because there's just more Christians about. So yeah. the way they do their business, the way they you know conduct themselves, the the the, the standards of society, it's just everything is affected because it's just more Christians. And that reflects the Great Commission, doesn't it? The mission of the church mm. is to make disciples um, yeah. rather than to, hey, go make the world a better place. And if we make disciples, well, then sure, the world's definitely going to get to be a better place. But it, that's kind of a secondary effect, isn't it, of the mission yes, of the church? I think so, yeah. And I think we could get drawn off message if we don't make seeing people come to know Christ as the number one priority. I mean, Do you think when we're gathering as a church whether it's you know that that dim memory where we used to gather a couple of hundred people in a room um or you know or as a small group on zoom or with friends or whatever um are we are we trying to create contexts for moments for god to zap people or are we trying to create context where we just keep plodding Mm. Well, it's probably a bit of both, isn't it? I mean, yeah, because you know, life needs both. Um, but I, I think if we if we create a setting where um, people just want to go to the next high in order to get a bit of a, a bit of a fix to keep them going till the next high, then we're not really building depth in people. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's just that's not that's not good for anybody to live just like that, but we do need high points. Um, I think that we're constituted that way. We, we, we do need to feel intimacy with Christ in a, in a, a new and fresh way, not live off, you know, yesterday's manner. So I do think we should have yeah regular encounters with Christ personally and collectively corporately i i i think we should have high expectations for that um but then behind that there's an engine running just purring in the background of of daily life and daily service for him that should run um feeding off the moments when we have had particular encounter with him so when we became christians that's an encounter when we get filled with the spirit it's an encounter when we perhaps feel god speaking to us prophetically it's an encounter where you know whatever god heals us it's an encounter so i think i think you need both we do need those high points um 
because that's what exhilarates us and we need exhilaration. Uh, I think we're constituted to, I think that's the great flavor quote, isn't it? We're constituted so that we, we crave spiritual intimacy and exhilaration and that's the way we're, we're made. And if we don't get that from Christ, then as he puts it, our souls will go in search, silent search of other lovers. But there's something within us that will always go for the exhilaration of felt intimacy and felt exhilaration. That's how we're made. We're John Piper's thing of, you know, in, enjoying God. Um, that, that's, that's Christian hedonism. I mean, it, it is how we're made. That's fine. But we've then got to live in the good of it. It's both and. I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to emphasize one more than the other, really. Yeah. In terms of those those moments of encounter or exhilaration, where would you anchor us in scripture with those? What what should our expectations be biblically for what that might look like? Well, I think most of the most of the acts of the apostles and then, you know, at times Paul's reflections on things that have happened in his spiritual journey um, were moments of exhilaration. Uh, with then thoroughgoing obedience. So, I mean, mm. Paul referred to himself caught up into the third heaven, in the body, out of yeah. the body. I mean, that's a moment. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, he's gone on three missionary journeys, which were long, hard sustained hard work. Yeah, but he yeah. needed the one to get to the other. Mm. And then other times when, you know, there's encounter and Peter on the, well, he wasn't actually on the roof when he got the vision. He was, he'd been praying and he went into the kitchen when he fell into a trance, which is a great way of getting out of cooking. Um, <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm in a trance at the moment. I can't, <laughs> can't do the vegetables. Um, but that seems to be what happened. He had that high point that then led on to, you know, Cornelius house. Um, I think, I think that's, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for God to speak to me and engage with me regularly. And he does. I mean, I, I'm very blessed in that regard. I mean, often prophetic words will come to me from different people, just helping me know what to do next. I mean, that, I, that's been a feature of my life, which I'm very thankful for. And I'm not unfamiliar with being in meetings and feeling the sense of the, the weight of God's presence. And I love that. But I don't want to live for that. I want to live from that. Well, that's all for now, but for more on this, listen to the full-length podcast. Mm-hmm.